0: Hi everyone, welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, best-selling author and senior director of valuation services at CFGI, where I help my clients figure out what their most important assets are worth. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And if you'd like to connect with me and reach out after the show, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Today we're gonna be talking about where construction projects can go wrong and what maybe we can do to prevent that from happening with my guest today, Jeff Kozak, who's principal at Resolution Management Consultants. Jeff, welcome to Behind the Numbers.
1: Thank you, glad to be here.
0: Great, Uh, let's uh, start off by helping you to explain to the audience who you are and what your firm does and then we'll jump in.
1: Okay, Um, lifelong resident of South Jersey. I actually got started in my line of business when I was in college. I attended Drexel University on a cooperative education program and my first co-op was, was a firm that dealt with, in the early stages of critical path method scheduling, which is very important in construction, as well as construction management services. And the ironic thing is that where I parked, it's the building right across from uh, the parking lot, and I probably parked there every day back in the early 70s going into that building. I don't think this studio or this building that studios in was there. Uh, I actually worked four six-month periods dealing with scheduling, Uh, of work of all different types of projects, and I got the opportunity to work overseas uh, in Tehran, Iran, the last six months. Of course, that was pre-Ayatollah, so it was a very good experience. Um, I then continued on to law school, and while I was in law school, I got a part-time job with a firm uh, who dealt with the same type of work, including construction claims, because the industry started to take a change in the mid to late 70s, uh and contractors were looking to pursue additional compensation for things that they thought had gone wrong and they were entitled to so really the construction claims industry began or started to evolve in the late 70s and so i got involved in that after law school i continued on with that firm on a full-time basis uh went to another firm doing the same type of services and then in 1993 i was one of the founders of resolution management consultants and We're still going strong 26 years later.
0: Great. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm also a Drexel alum. Got my MBA there from Drexel as well. Yeah. So your objective is to minimize construction-related problems.
1: Yeah, there's there's twofold. One is to either eliminate or avoid problems or try to minimize them uh, or mitigate them. And that is part of one uh, facet of our services. And that's what I'll call... <clears throat> For summary purposes, project management support services, and there's a whole menu of services you can you can offer, and it can start way before the job has even begun, and it can continue through project closeout. So, the types of services we may get involved in are, and it depends on the type of client. And let's say there's an owner who's a one-time builder, first-time builder. They don't have much experience. Well, there's all different types of what are called project delivery systems of how you do the work. And that relates to risk apportionment. You want to keep the risk? You want to pass on the risk. And of course, if you pass on the risk, the price is probably going to be higher because somebody has to absorb that risk. So there's things there in that aspect that we can help uh, a client think about. Uh, we also get involved, as I mentioned, critical path method, or CPM scheduling. Uh, we can work with a client who's a contractor who has to provide a schedule. And the schedule is very important. schedule is a roadmap. Of how the work is going to be done, and how it's going to be done within the t- contractual timeframes. So that's done at the beginning of the job, and it's called the baseline schedule. So we can help prepare that. Typically, on a job, there's periodic updates of that schedule. They status a schedule to find out is the job on schedule, behind schedule, ahead of schedule, and these updates are done typically monthly, and we can help prepare them. On the other side of the coin, we may be working for an owner and we receive the schedules from the contractor and we review them to see if it's in compliance with the scheduling specification. And then the updates, whether they're complying with things and whether there's problems that need to be addressed. Because the last thing you want to do, which often happens and where we get into the other aspect, the claim side, is the parties don't do anything till near the end of the project.
0: So you mentioned you serve developers, um, contractors, you also work with attorneys as well?
1: Yeah. We work with every project participant you can think of. It can be owners from uh, public owners from local government up to the federal government. It can be private owners, can be developers, uh, design professionals, uh, construction managers, contract general contractors, subcontractors. It could be sureties, could be insurance companies, it could be financial institutions. Really, anybody who has a, a role in the, in the process, and uh, we, we can help. Uh, So, we also work in any type of industry you can imagine. Uh, It can be horizontal construction like commercial, it can be vertical, I'm sorry, vertical construction like uh, commercial, or horizontal construction like transportation. So, other industries may be marine, uh, governmental, courthouses, detention facilities, schools, hospitality, hotels, casinos, every type of project has certain, uh, whether whatever the technology is, whatever the terminology is, and if you're ever working with government contracts, they speak in acronyms, and you have to learn a whole new language to understand that. But that may be different, but the process of construction and how it proceeds through is the same, and they all have similar problems.
0: It's a good segue, because I want to get into that now. So given the different uh, constituents that you serve and the different industries in which you have experience, where do construction projects go wrong? What, what, what are some of the Let stories that you may ways. be able to share? Uh, Remembering that it's only a 30-minute show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it can happen at any time. Right off the bat, you need to have, and we do work with attorneys, but typically that's in the claims scenario after the fact, which I haven't discussed yet. But right up front, whatever, whoever the project participant is, they should make sure that their attorney, and it should be a construction attorney who understands that, uh, make sure that the the party, whether it be the contractor or the owner, understands what that contract says, what their obligations and responsibilities are, and what what risks they're taking, and what clauses are important. And you could you could lose everything by not providing proper notice in accordance with the contract. So it's very important right up front. And sometimes that's what's lost because someone doesn't look, and so they have a problem. Then they go, "Oh, what does my contract say?" And by that time, it's too late. Or you, you, you have a gun, but you have no bullets. So you need, you need to take that in consideration. And then every step of the way, there can be something that can go wrong. And so when I, when I do, I've done a lot of different speaking engagements. When I start out, I say, there's four important things that you have to consider. One is the contract because every contract can be different. There are standard form contracts that are prepared by uh, organizations. There are individual contracts that are modified. There there are uh, standalone contracts. Uh, So that's important. The law is important because how one jurisdiction handles an issue may not be the same as another. Because hardly anything ever goes, all these courts have to listen to what the Supreme Court of the United States says. Okay. But, I think the only case that I can recall that's ever talked about is a 1918 case called Spearin versus U.S. and dealing with construction. So those cases never get up there. So if you're working in, whether it be in Pennsylvania or Maryland or New Jersey, or dealing with the federal government, they may handle the same issue differently in terms of what case precedent is. So that's again where the attorney, attorney can come in handy and, and address that. The other area is the facts and the problem is sometimes people don't like to write things down and when you have people on site, maybe your superintendent is great in terms of knowing how to build the job but the last thing they want to do is take time documenting things and a lot of the parties don't understand the importance of documentation because nothing is better after the fact when you're in a claim than knowing that you have contemporaneous documentation. That's much better than somebody two, three, Eight years later, trying to remember what they did on a particular day—it's almost impossible. Oh, it is impossible. So, so, so—that's very important. The facts, because you can have the same situation, different fact pattern, you're going to get a different result. There are all tangible things, though, that you can you can get a handle on and, and deal and try to deal with. The last item is the intangible one, and that's people, because if you don't have good people on the job, you're going to have problems. Now, there are plenty of projects that we don't get involved in that get resolved, whether they get on time, on budget. You'll see everybody's resume says, every job I did was on budget and on time. I say, okay, I take that with a grain of salt. But they get done, and problems happen on every job, but reasonable minds can, can agree and, and resolve things. We see a lot of the projects that we get involved in in the claim side is because there aren't two sets, of, there aren't reasonable people on both sides for various reasons.
0: Yeah, on time and on budget should be table stakes but before we dive into that because we only have a few minutes left in this segment for the folks who are watching and listening if they want to learn more about you how can they contact you
1: well you can contact me uh telephone eight eight five six nine eight five five thousand we also have a, a toll number toll free number eight hundred uh three nine zero eighty eight hundred uh you can reach me by uh Email J. K-O-Z-E-K at res management. That's r Uh you can go on our website, www.resmgt.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
0: Lots of ways to contact you. So you're talking about people and the need for reasonableness, um, cool heads. We only have probably about 90 seconds or so, I think, in this first segment, but touch on that just a little bit more about particular agendas, and how do you bring out that reasonableness in people who may otherwise be inclined to perhaps get their back up in these kinds of circumstances?
1: Well, it, it sometimes depends on who the client is. In government contracts, typically they're, they're fair, they're not one-sided. And quite frankly, with a public contract, it's not their money. It's our money, but it's not coming right at, directly out of their pocket. So they're more agreeable to deal with things and to be fair and equitable. Uh, That doesn't mean they don't come out with decisions that are not, but you're dealing with that type of person who has no no skin in the game. There are other parties that might be, for instance, I'll make up a a hypothetical, you might have a contractor who has a project manager whose bonus is dependent on the profitability of that job, and he needs to recover this money on the claim to get a a nice bonus. I'm not saying that he doesn't have a legitimate gripe for whatever he's complaining, but you have to look at it with with a grain of salt as to why is he presenting this? Is it for his own agenda or not? And sometimes on both sides, whether it be subcontractor, contractor, contractor, owner, owner, design professional, the decision makers are initially relying on their people and their people see it one way and it's usually shaded towards their favor. And many times, the business deciders, you know, the owners, the owner and the, and the head of the contracting firm, find out whether we get involved or, or the attorney gets involved, that their case isn't quite as good as they thought it was. And so therefore they have to lower their expectations, and that's very tough, because they've already decided some of them, what I'm going to do with that money when I recover it. And one of the first things we always look at is says, "Your claim is five million dollars." and we're looking at what you're claiming as damages, and even if you're right from a liability standpoint, that claim's not worth more than $2.5 million. So that's where we're gonna start from. So that's a tough, tough thing to take, because you're already, you've been told by your people, and then trying to get those people to understand why it's not what they think it is, you have to win them over.
0: Right. We're gonna to have to take a quick break here, so don't go anywhere, Jeff. You don't go anywhere, either. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick commercial break. Anyway, we take charge.
1: Add us on social media. To watch bloopers, behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and more.
0: 13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I gotta get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat. Like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me.
1: Thanks
0: Liz. A woman without a lot of time. Whether you're a gourmet cook or just want to eat like one, visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items all from the finest purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN-TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN-TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what with- Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers, I'm Dave Bookbinder and today we're talking about what can go wrong in a construction project how to prevent it and how to resolve it if it does with uh, Jeff Kozak. So Jeff, we covered a lot of territory in the first segment. So I wanna cover even more in the second segment if we can. Uh, Let's start with the bid process. And when we were talking at the break, you had mentioned something about the idea that it's the lowest responsible party. And in my world and and frankly, in a lot of other service worlds, whether it's uh, a painter or an auto mechanic, the lowest bid doesn't usually represent the best quality. Talk about the bid process in your space okay
1: <clears throat> I mentioned about project delivery systems and the one that's the traditional method is design bid build and that method is the design is basically complete uh, bids go out it's competitive bid process to the lowest and most you know responsive responsible bidder so as long as a bidder has a uh, doesn't have a lot of you know Muddy, muddy the waters in his background and so on. If he comes out with the lowest bid, and typically uh, this happens on public contracts because you're looking for the, the lowest price to benefit the taxpayers, you're going to take that contractor. And as long as he meets those requirements, he has the lowest bid, he will get the work. Now, sometimes contractors want to uh, get bigger jobs than they've handled and they'll, they'll bite off more than they can chew. And We've dealt some claims with that, that it's really a job that's too big for them to handle from an administrative management standpoint. They can do the work. Yeah. Okay. It's the same thing if you're dealing with a handyman around the house. They can do the work. Trying to get them to come back to finish the last detail or those types of things is a difficulty. Yeah. I and think
0: so, that resonates with everybody. Yeah.
1: And so when you're dealing with a bigger contract, they may not be able to handle it. Um, But that's on a lump sum fixed price basis. So a contractor is almost like a gambler. He can make a lot of money, he can lose a lot of money. And if he's got a low bid, and there's different reasons, if the economy's bad, you might want to just take the job at cost because you want to keep your key people involved. You want to keep the doors open. And then you're looking for contract modifications or change orders for additional work and so on. And some contractors have that reputation. Most don't, but some do. Um, so that's one aspect. Another problem with that is you have a design professional, whether it be an architect or an engineer, who's designed the project, who has a contract with the owner. The owner has a separate contract with the general contractor, and the general contractor has subcontractors under that. So the owner has two different sets of contracts. So if there's an, uh, an argument that the plans and specifications are defective, the contractor has to go after typically the owner, because that's who the contract's with. Then the owner has the dilemma, well, I hired the design professional, do I have to bring in the design professional? And then there's pointing, the finger pointing starts as to, it was defective plans and specs. No, it wasn't, it was defective construction. So the owner get, gets caught in that dilemma. So 30, 40 years ago, maybe less than that, someone came up with the idea, is why don't we combine the contractor and the design professional together into one contract? And you came out with design bill. And so, therefore, the owner is alleviated of the problem. If there's an argument about the design or construction, they're on the same team so they can point the fingers at each other, and the owner says, Phew, I'm, I'm free of that. However, with every advance or advantage, there's a disadvantage. And what we see in the claim side is the disadvantage is that the owner has to provide some bit of information to the design professional and the contractor in order to do that. And that's, more, that's called a performance specification, as opposed to something very detailed in your traditional design bid bill, which is a prescriptive uh, specification. By way of example, if I say, Dave, I want you to build me a car that does zero to the 60 in 2.5 seconds, and the car must be red. That's all you have to meet, and you can put whatever size engine, whatever size, uh, whatever, whatever you want to build that car, and it can look like whatever it does, as long as it meets those requirements. Okay, in a prescriptive specification, you're giving every nuts you know what detail in that specification, a contractor is just supposed to follow the rules, just like you get something to put together and as long as the the instructions aren't from some foreign country and and they spell everything right, you can follow it and put it together. So these are called typically bridging documents that the owner provides some small percentage of information, design information, and then the design builder takes that and puts together what he believes the owner wants and many times we see the owner goes that's not what i want and so there's a dispute there that's created because of this design build aspect so there's always trade-offs then there's other possible there's other things where it says you know what another way we can do things better is because the contractor who's going to build this finds that hey there's certain things that are not constructible the way you designed it. So the idea is let the contractor be involved early on with the designer so they can help and come up with a better project. So that's another method in order to get all the parties involved and now they're going further with integrated project design so on where all the parties work together as a team and in theory that's great and it has worked but again it's just like the partnering concept in construction, that everybody's friendly and they sing kumbaya, but as soon as somebody tries to reach into the other person's pocket for their wallet, all of a sudden you get back to the vices of this. So, yeah.
0: so let's talk a little bit about what happens when things go wrong. Uh, your con- your your company name is Resolution Management Consultants. Let's talk about the resolution process. Does it always wind up in a litigation scenario?
1: No, no, it doesn't. And if you're in a claim situation, and typically where we get involved, the big dollar claims deal with two aspects, delay or disruption. Okay. Time is money, and that's delay. Because if the job gets extended beyond the period of time and the contractor doesn't get any compensation for additional work or so on, there's all kinds of extra costs, extended general conditions, escalation costs, and so on, uh, that the contractor is not being compensated for uh... and disruptions another area where there can be um, the contractor may f- complete the job in the in the original time period or maybe extend a little bit but he does so in a much more inefficient manner and for example he may bid ten thousand hours and spends thirteen thousand hours to do the same scope of work well he wants to recover those extra three thousand hours because he was inefficient it took him longer to do the same work he has to establish why he did that, and that's really a loss of productivity. And that's, that's all labor hours. It could be dealing with equipment hours, so that can be a big number as well. So whatever the case, and if we're involved on either helping try to pr- uh, present a claim or an, a request for an equitable adjustment, or we're on the other side and we're representing an owner who has received one and we're looking at whether it has merit or not, it, it could go through different steps. The first step is negotiations between the parties directly. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, typically, the contract will have some method of, of resolution, dispute resolution, and traditionally, if nothing said, it's going to be litigation and the parties may mention where, what jurisdiction, what venue they have to go into, or they may opt for arbitration, which is enti- it's, it's entirely different in that you select one, depending on the size of the claim, one or maybe three arbitrators and there's different methods of selecting them, and they act as the judge or jury. And typically, if you go into court, okay, you could have a civil trial, you could have a, a jury, or you could have a judge. And I always look at that as you could have 12 people who have no interest in construction and don't really know what you're talking about when you get technical. Or you have one person, a judge, who has no interest in Claude up courtroom and doesn't really know what you're talking about. Judges hate construction cases. It's very paper intensive, takes a long time. And whatever the lawyers say, it'll take so many days to present my case, you probably can double that. Because lawyers like consultants like to talk. So, so the difference is, so what they've come up with in the last, again, it could be all 15 years, is a process of mediation for construction cases. And parties agree on an individual, an independent person could be a retired judge, an attorney, and they come in and they know very little about the case. And it, it varies, but they may have each side write a 10 or 20 page paper on what the case is about. Now this could be a job that went on for three years, so you're giving somebody twenty pages, it's like Cliff's Notes, of what the job is. So he really doesn't understand all the details, and each one has their own side of what they're trying to promote. So then what happens is the parties get together, and you could have a couple people, you could have twenty people, I've been in both. And the the mediator decides, am I going to let each side do a dog and pony slideshow to present to the other side? and he may do that, may, may not. And then once that's done, parties go off to different areas and the mediator shuttles back and forth and tries to take, let's say if the contractor is looking for five million the owner says he's not entitled to anything, he's trying to tell the contractor possibilities of what could happen and his case really isn't worth five million, so he's trying to bring that number down. Then he goes and he talks with them and gets some points that he can come back to the owner and say, you really owe this guy some money and try to get him up so they get to some happy medium. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Usually it's only one or two days. And there we say the best decision, uh, if if there's a, a reconciliation, the parties settle, that it's it's great if both sides are unhappy. That means the mediator did a good job. So that has come more into vogue, and even if you don't come to a decision in the mediation, it really promotes further discussions between the parties. And and then you might have settlement. So whether it be negotiations or mediation you're still in control. You can say yay or nay at any time. Once you get into arbitration, arbitration is almost always mandatory. So once you get into arbitration or litigation, you've taken it, the control is outside of your hands, it's some third party who may or may not understand your case. So that's the risk you're taking when you go to arbitration or litigation. And it can be very expensive, very time consuming, and it takes that party out of what they do best, whether it be building, designing, or, or, you know, owning buildings, running buildings, and so on. So that's the decision they have to make.
0: Gotcha. We probably only have about two minutes or so to go in the program. So I want to ask you, in your experience, if there's any tips or pieces of advice that you might share to the people that you serve, whether it's the developers, the contractors, the attorneys, in the whole ecosystem, based on your years of experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's, and it's the same. I've read things on negotiation, and, and it applies to when you're getting into a job, When you're negotiating with somebody, you want to try to understand from their side of the table where they're coming from, because everything's not black and white. So when you enter into a job, the owner wants a job that's done, it's a beautiful job, it's done on time and hopefully under budget. Okay, the design professional wants to have a good job, wants to have something in his portfolio to say I did that, doesn't want to have any litigation. Uh, The contractor wants to have a good job that they can use in their website and also wants to make money. So there are some similar interests, but there are some competing interests. So don't go into it being naive about about things. And so it starts off with a good contract. It starts off with having the right people on the job who understand and can represent your interests, but but understand the other side's position too. Because when we get into claims and we deal with people, typically we're dealing with the attorney. We say, here are all the issues. Some are definite winners for you. Some are definite losers, give up them. And then the, the, the middle part or the gray area. And that could be 50-50, in your, uh, 60-40, or 70-30. The 70 could be in your favor, which you hope, or the 30%. And you say to them, look, we're, we'll, we can make an argument, but it's probably not the strongest argument. So our job is to tell that client, whoever that may be, that I want to give you enough information so you can make a valid business decision on what you want to do.
0: Yeah. Are there any particular nuances? I know we, you mentioned that construction is generally construction across the different industries, but anything that you might be able to share in terms of the nuances within the different industries that you've worked in? And we've got to do that in like thirty seconds. <laughs> I
1: was just told we're running out of time. Um, well, again, public contracting is different than than private construction, and there are some differences depending on what what industry. And for instance, like if you're dealing with education, with schools you need to get that project done by September, and you're not going to get a time extension. You have to figure out how you're going to accelerate the buyback time, and that costs money. So that's an example where it might not apply, where they say, okay, the job can be later. I'd rather just have it later rather than spend more money and get it done by that time.
0: Lots to think about, a lot of considerations. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But I want to thank you for joining us today. Today we've been talking about how to minimize and resolve any issues that may happen in a construction engagement with Jeff Kozak, who's the principal at Resolution Management Consultants. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and thanks for tuning in to Behind the Numbers. We'll see you next time.